there's an instruction to me, I need to talk. Um, Do we have one at the end? <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, because then people would be running up and to press the button, wouldn't they? <laughs> um, we are in Luke chapter 10, the end of. Um, wonderful short passage. Um, doesn't always mean a short sermon. Just to manage your expectations. Uh, let me pray. Let me pray. Father, please would you help us to concentrate as we look at your words. And uh, please would you change our whole mindset so that it conforms with the attitude of the Lord Jesus. In his name. Amen. Amen. Claire's going to read the Luke 10 on the inside of your sheets. Thank you very much. Well, here's the title for today's talk. Um, It's there at the top of your sheets um, and on the screen. When the good becomes the enemy of the best. When the good becomes the enemy of the best. Um, I think lots of people have said that. It's been attributed to so many. I didn't bother saying who it's a quote from. Um, But it's certainly the theme of the passage here. That idea that there are many good things we could do but those good things could actually cloud out the best, the most important thing. Does anyone know what this is? I don't know if you can see if the picture's clear enough. Does anyone know what it's referring to? Has anyone heard the rock, pebble, sand, and in a jar? This is is very useful for you if you're you're struggling with time management and uh, life management. But how would you get those rocks, those pebbles, and that sand into the jar? Where do you start? Well, if you start with the sand, this is what happens. Do you see what's going on here? If you put the smallest things in first, all the random things, and then the medium-sized things, the pebbles, and then the rocks, they don't fit. But if you get the rocks, the biggest things, the most important things in first, that's what happens. And um, I think there was one lecturer who did this in front of his university students. And he said, and there's always room for a pint of beer. And he poured that in as well. (laughs) Um, If you time manage well, that's the the principle of this, and you get the rocks into place, the really important things in your life into place first, and then the slightly less important things, and then all the other stuff that you could do but you don't necessarily have to do, then it'll all fit in But if you just let life happen to you and you just throw stuff in at random, it probably will end up looking like this. It won't all fit in the jar. And that's a recipe for total stress. And we actually see that theme coming through in the passage. And under this heading, when the good becomes the enemy of the best. 
And we're going to work our way through um, this passage. Um, but before we go on to the first point, you'll see there on the sheets, uh, the good. Um, we're going to look at a little bit of context. And just look at the top of your, well, at the top of the, the passage, uh, verse 38. So that first main paragraph there on your sheets. Um, it says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way. On their way. Well, that gives us a little bit of context. It tells us there's something more happening here than just this little episode. Um, the accounts of Jesus' life aren't just random little stories from his life thrown together. No, Luke, who carefully investigated everything from the beginning, as he tells us in his introductory paragraph to this historical account, he carefully investigated everything, talked to the eyewitnesses. He then made an orderly account uh, so that as we study, we would get to know Jesus better and we would know the certainty of the things we've been taught. And so there's a reason for this. And from the end of chapter 9, there's been a change in direction. Jesus has set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. That's where Jesus and his disciples are on their way to. They're on their way to Jerusalem. And when Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem, he said that he was on his way to die. He was on his way to die. That's uh, the glorious Son of God, who became a man, uh, came to die. And he was saying that anyone who would follow him must take up their cross and follow him. That they must also die to themselves, die to their own priorities, and go with Jesus, even to the very point of death. That's the way they're heading. And Mark chapter 10, uh, Luke chapter 10 is a fantastic chapter where it talks about kind of three main things. The first major chunk is about being a missionary. The fact is that Jesus sent out the 72, which represents all Christians to all nations, so we're all on mission. And so we're all living out this cross-shaped life, this life of giving up ourselves and giving ourselves to Jesus and his priorities. We're all on mission. And then we saw, last time we were looking at Luke, uh, we had a, a break last week for some very encouraging baptisms, uh, but two weeks ago, we were, as Andy was referring to in his prayer, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, um, uh, and so we got that context there that Claire read for us at the top of the sheets. Uh, the Good Samaritan, where the guy asks, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Well, verse 36, on the top of your sheets, Jesus says, which of these three? He described three people, two who walked by, and one, a Samaritan, who gave up... Uh, well, risked his life and risked his, his livelihood for the sake of this man. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. So this is a passage, this is a chapter that is very activist. This is a chapter saying, uh, be like Jesus, take up your cross, be willing to give of yourself, to share the good news with anyone and everyone. And whenever you come across anyone in need, serve their needs, give up your own privileges and your own um, opportunities for the sake of those in need. Do, do, do. And so then we come to this passage, which is crucial to understand all of that in the right context. Because actually, in the light of those last few words of the previous passage, go and do likewise, well, in our little account here, who do you think would have been the one who was commended? Who's doing the good stuff in this little episode? Well, let's go back into verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, 
he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Who do you think would have been living out those principles of go and do likewise? Well, a little modern-day parable, little equivalent here. I don't know if anyone's seen this. enjoyed that and it woke you up a little bit. Um, Mary and Martha there, which role was Mary playing? Well, she was the, the man sitting on the sofa, sat at the Lord's feet, just listening to what he said, not really doing anything. And who's the Martha there? Well, who's in the right? Who's commendable in that little modern day parable? Well, obviously, it was the woman. And Martha, the older sister, we've got to sympathize with her. Do you see there? Jesus comes with the twelve. Um, He's into the village, and Martha and her sister Mary, Martha opens her home. Do you see that verse 38? Martha opened her home to him. She's generous. She's generous-hearted. She's conscientious. She knows Jesus is great, and she loves him. She wants to serve him. And maybe Mary had started helping, but uh, then, then we're told that she left her to go and sit at Jesus' feet, and you can just imagine the tension building. Jesus... The 12, their brother, we know that they had a brother, Lazarus, from elsewhere in the Gospels. So 14 men at least, 14 hungry men to feed. She's got to make all the preparations. And there is Mary. She's that dreamy type. She just thinks there's magic coffee tables and magic washing baskets. And in Martha's view, Mary was being selfish and unprincipled and unfair. And if only Mary would help, if only she'd, she'd help her, then it would take half the time. And then both of them maybe could listen. And actually, you've got to sympathize with, with Martha massively because there's a, there's a big cultural thing going on here. Uh, Martha had a duty. Um, it seems that these two sisters were living in the house, so they were hosts. But not only that, women were expected to wait on the men in those days. 
women were expected to be in the kitchen. And they were not expected to be sitting, listening to teachers. In the Jerusalem Talmud, which was written between uh, the Old and New Testament, a little bit into the New Testament era, around that time, uh, Jewish people kind of trying to nail down what it looks like to, uh, to live out uh, God's word, but with very sort of strict regimes. They just took, they added rules on rules on rules. This is one of the things that a guy called Eliezer ben Hikranus, I don't know who he is, but he's in the Jerusalem Talmud. He says this, women's wisdom is solely in the spindle. That means in knitting. Uh, women are only any good for, for knitting. Uh, the words of the Torah should be burned rather than entrusted to women. That's an authoritative uh, uh, literature of um, Jewish people at the time. Or in the Mishnah, written about 100 years before Jesus and very much prevalent uh, among the Pharisees of the time and, and any of the teachers, anyone who teaches his daughter the Torah teaches her Tiflet. Obviously, you all know what Tiflet means. Um, apparently, you could paraphrase that as anyone who teaches his daughter teaches her to be a slut. It's a kind of sexual term. Um, so the idea that you would teach women anything other than to look after the home um, was an appalling thing in those days. And so Martha is justified. The culture is saying she should serve these people, she should be busy in the kitchen, and you can imagine her, just the, the tension building as the, the pots get put down louder and louder on the surface, trying to encourage Ma Mary in. Until finally she breaks. Until finally she breaks. And the good becomes the enemy. There's a picture of someone with just so many things whizzing around their heads. And do you see that in verse 40? But Martha, verse 40 on your sheets, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Suddenly, the, the pressure is built, the understandable pressure is built, and Martha is really feeling it. But you see how the good thing she's doing suddenly turns into an enemy to what is right. And just in the way she starts talking to Jesus, we see that she's, as someone said, out of sorts with herself, she's out of sorts with her sister, and she's out of sorts with her saviour. You see, firstly, she, she comes to Jesus, her saviour, and she says, Lord, don't you care? And then she, in her self-absorbedness, says, my sister has left me to do the work by myself. Help, tell her to help me. It's all about her worries and her anxieties, but completely understandable, isn't it? And then she commands her Lord. She questions whether he cares, and then she commands him. End of verse 40, tell her to help me. Tell her, Jesus, you've got to do this. But it's so easy for us to get into this situation, isn't it? I don't know how you're feeling at the moment. What are you going through? What's busy for you? What's stressing you out? Maybe it's a situation at work, maybe at home, maybe to do with church. Maybe there are people you're trying to serve at church. There's, there's people you're trying to get alongside, or there's things you're trying to do for church, and you're thinking, why isn't anyone else helping me out? And you're starting to question God, and you're trying to ask him, with all this mess that's going on in your life, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care? 
And then in your prayers, they turn less into prayers of dependence and more into, Jesus, look, if you really love me, if you really understood my situation, then you would, you would tell this person to do this. You would tell her to help me. You would, you would sort out this mess that I'm in. If you really love me, this is the way the script goes, Jesus. This is the way it pans out. Have you ever been in that situation? Maybe you're in it now. And we need to ask that question. Who sets the agenda for my life? Who is my Lord? Because do we remember when, when that teach the law came to Jesus and said, um, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus got him to answer the question himself. And he quoted from the Old Testament law, the good law of God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. If we get those things the wrong way around, then suddenly we'll start to set the agenda rather than depending on God. We will only love others and be able to serve others if we love God more than them. And we must be very wary when we get into that mindset of, Jesus, don't you care? Well, maybe he really cares and he wants you to be stressed in the situation you're in because he wants you to change the situation you're in. He wants you to realize that the good that you're doing has become the enemy of the best. Of the best. Verse 41 on the sheets. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. This is a tender, compassionate Jesus. I don't know how you feel when someone comes in and blames you and tells you what to do, but normally that gets my shackles up and I'm like, well, you're not so good yourself, are you? But Jesus gently, Martha, Martha, He names her, he knows her, he's tender and compassionate towards her, and he knows everything that she's going through. Verse 41, you are worried and upset about many things. And it's as if Jesus is saying, I know every single thing that you are worried and upset about. I understand it. In fact, I know better than you do. I'm with you. I feel your stress. I always care. I always care. But as much as I care about you, Martha, your priorities are wrong. Because, verse 42, few things are needed. Indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And what is better? What has Mary chosen? Just look up the page. Back at verse 39, Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. That is what is better, sitting and listening to Jesus. It's not just sitting on the couch and wondering who's going to make the dinner. No, this is proactive sitting. That phrase, sat at someone's feet, meant something in that time. It meant that they were a serious student or even an apprentice of a rabbi, of a formal teacher. So in Acts chapter 22, verse 3, if you're taking notes and you want to look it up, the Apostle Paul says, for many years I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest Bible teachers um, among the Jews at the time. And so that phrase, sat at the feet of, means I'm a serious student of. Mary is engaging in as close as she can possibly get to to kind of Bible college, as it were. 
She, she wants to listen to Jesus. She wants to learn from him. So all that stuff that the Jews believed at the time, that women should just be in the kitchen or knitting, um, that it was a bad idea to, to teach them in case they uh, ended up using their freedom badly. No, Jesus overrode all of that. And he wanted women to learn. And here's Mary modeling for us, men and women, what we need to do. Do you notice how humble and gentle is, uh, Jesus is in this? And yet, how, how arrogant. Do you see what he's saying? Mary has chosen what is better, or the best thing, the one thing, to listen to me. I mean, if, if I said that to you, you should immediately get a bit nervous that this is a church that's domineering and commanding and controlling. Um, be careful if, if your pastor ever tells you that you've got to do what he says no matter what. Uh, but Jesus is saying that the most important thing for Mary is to listen to him. Jesus is claiming he's bringing the words of God. And Jesus has said things like that already, hasn't he? Do you see on your sheets, I've put Luke 8, when we're looking at the parable of the sower, and that ends with verse 15 on your sheets in the middle. Uh, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. And then as that chapter continues, people are looking for Jesus and they're wondering where, um, where he is because his mother and brothers want him. And he replies, verse 21, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's words and put it into practice. So he's equating his word with God's words. As people listen to him, God is speaking. And that is how you become part of God's family, listening to Jesus, getting close to Jesus, trusting in Jesus. Jesus is claiming that the best thing, well, is what the Bible has always claimed that the best thing is. It's there in, in Psalm 1. You see Psalm 1 there on the bottom of your sheets. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. How do they avoid that mess? Verse 2, their delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law, that's God's word. Uh, law just means the first five books of the Bible or a summary of the Old Testament who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Isn't that what you want for your life? Do you want to be like a, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season? A person who's totally dependent on God? Whose leaf does not wither? Maybe you're feeling like you're your life is withering at the moment. You're struggling with all the stuff in your head. Well, Mary was told that she was doing the best thing. She was listening to Jesus. Because what she was prioritizing was not giving stuff to Jesus. I don't know what you're trying to do at the moment to impress God or to, to make God feel that you're worthy of him. Or maybe there's something you've done that you think what, that God won't want anything to do with you. But the Christian message is not a message of what we can do for God. It's what he does for us. And Jesus says that the very heart of knowing him is receiving from him. We receive from him. We, we don't offer him anything he can't provide for himself. He does not need us. And the first thing in, in, in having a relationship with Jesus is, is to know that he doesn't need us. We need him. And what Mary recognizes is, as she's listening to Jesus, that, that she's receiving from him. And Jesus says, verse 42, it will not be taken away from her. It will not be taken away. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that she's going to 
drink of my word. She's going to get to know me better. She's going to grow. And that's going to last all the way through to eternity. It will never be taken away. Because for all eternity with God, we will be receiving from him. We're not doing our duty to get to God so that in heaven we can be good little people who do good stuff for God. No, primarily we, we're going to heaven to, not to do things for God, but to receive what he longs to give us. Like a, like a tree planted by streams of water receives the nutrients from the ground and, and, the, and the beautiful water coming up through, like a branch depending on its tree. We go to heaven. We're heading on our way to eternity with God to receive. It is him who serves us. And if we haven't learned to begin receiving from him on earth, then actually there's a warning, isn't there, that we might, won't find ourselves doing it for eternity. If you think that Jesus needs you, if you think that you're self-sufficient, if you think that somehow you need to be doing stuff for him and that's the most important thing, then actually you haven't understood the Christian message, the good news, that he primarily came to give himself for us so that as we trust in him, then we'll be useful to him and bear fruit and so on. And so Mary has chosen what is better. Well, let's get practical. What does this mean in practice? One of the reasons I wanted to show that video at the beginning is to show that if we use this as an excuse just to kind of live the laid-back, contemplative life, you know, just drinking it in and letting others do the work, that's not the model here. In fact, it doesn't necessarily mean doing less, as we looked at at the beginning. It means getting the right priorities in place so that the things we do have meaning and value and purpose set by the agenda of the Lord Jesus so that he's saying to us, this is what we need to do and we in delight do it rather than us going to him like Martha and saying, Lord, don't you care? Tell her to help me. You sort it out, Lord. So the question is, how do we go about prioritizing listening to Jesus' word? And there's some very, very obvious answers, aren't there? Like the fact that we do this together so that we we come to church and we feed on God's word and we, if we're questioning or we're trying to work out what it means, we talk to each other and we speak the truth of God's word into each other's lives and helping each other to live it out. We do this together, not on our own. But we need to remember, even in, in serving others, I need to remember this, um, that simple principle you get on, on any time you fly. You know when, when they say the oxygen masks come down and they say, if you've got someone next to you that you're going to help, make sure you put your own oxygen mask on first, and then you'll be able to help someone next to you. We need to make sure that we are fed before we feed others. But actually, the wonderful thing about the Christian life is often, in feeding others, we get fed ourselves. So pretty much every sermon, I get about 20 times the material that you get. I, I bet you probably want a little bit less from me. But... Um, <laughs> uh, I get a lot by, by preparing. And if you get alongside someone else in the church, they don't need to be a younger Christian than you, although you might want to do that. Um, and you say, well, let's teach each other. Let's read the Bible together. Let's study together. You will get a huge amount out of that um, as you yourself are fed and as you see more through their experience in God's words. So there's the practical things of gathering on a Sunday, gathering in uh, our small groups, our gospel communities, as we call them, where we dig deep into the passage normally that we've been studying um, on the Sunday before, and, um, and then in one-to-ones, 
one-to-one -one Bible reading. I can't recommend that enough. If you've not done one-to-one -one Bible reading with someone else, um, come and chat to me. And um, I think we need to revamp trying to set people up with that. Um, uh, that's a, it's a wonderful thing to do. Um, there's lots of other little things that I might suggest. But uh, again, um, I'm going to show you a little video, partly to give you a break. This is a challenge to us, I think, as we wonder, well, what about all our busy lives and all the pressures we face? Okay. This work? Yeah, we go to China from time to time, and, and uh, uh, we train leaders. And this time, we brought up 22 leaders from the Hunan province, and they rode 13 hours on a train to get to a hotel that they came up two by two in these elevators as, so as to not draw any attention. And then they got to a hotel room, a little apartment uh, room, it's only about 700 square feet in the little living room, no air conditioning, hardwood floor, 22 sat there. I came in, and when you teach in China, you start at 8 in the morning, and you don't get done till 5 at night. You teach the whole day. My sermon's too long? <laughs> we were sitting there, all 22 of them, and I looked around, and I said, now, if we get caught, what will happen to me? They said, oh, you'll get deported in 24 hours, and we'll go to prison for three years. I said, you're kidding. How many of you have been in prison for your faith? Out of 22, 18 raised their hands. I thought, no way. I looked at them and I said, you, you 22 people, how many people do you oversee? Because they were all of these small group leaders, underground church leaders in the Manan province. I said, how many? If you count up all the people under your jurisdiction, how many would it be? They counted them up and they said, a little over 20 million. I said, what? See, we forget there's 1.3 billion people in China. This is crazy. Well, I had 15 Bibles, and I passed them out. But obviously, seven didn't get them. And I said, let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read it. And just then, one lady handed hers to somebody next to her. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Well, we turned there anyway, and as we started reading it, I understood why she gave it away. She had memorized the whole thing. She just recited the whole chapter. When it was done, I went over to her at a break, and I said, you, you, you recited the whole chapter. She says, oh, yes, I've memorized many chapters. I said, where did you memorize many chapters? She said, in prison. I said, you have much time in prison. So I said, but don't they confiscate the Bible? She said, yes. So people bring in scriptures written on pieces of paper, and they bring it in. So I said, but then if they find that piece of paper on you, won't they confiscate that? She said, oh, yes, that's why you memorize it as fast as you can. Because <laughs> even though they can take the paper away, they can't take what's hidden in your heart. Wow. Well, after three days, you fall in love with these people. And when it was done, I said, how can I pray for you? I'm going to go back to America. You guys have been just so wonderful. How can I pray for you? They said, you know, Wayne, you guys can gather like this whenever you want to in America. We can't. Could you pray that one day we'll be just like you? And I looked at them and I said, I will not do that. Big, incredulous eyes looked at me and I said, well, why? <laughs> I said, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. 
In my country, if you've got to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit more than 40 minutes, they leave. You sat not only here for three days on a hard wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, if it's not padded pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles, and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that we become like, uh, you become like us, but I will pray that we become just like you. Isn't that a wonderful challenge to us? But as we close, I think the problem, I think that's a huge challenge to us, and that's a right challenge to us. Um, that we should be thinking seriously about how to memorize portions of Scripture because when you, when you know the Scripture, then you know, we're, we're told in, in Hebrews that as the, as the writer of the Hebrews quotes Psalm 95, he says, as the Holy Spirit says. So if you want the Holy Spirit to speak into your life a lot, then the more you memorize the Scriptures, the more the Holy Spirit will speak into your life. The more you will have him bring to mind. There's a wonderful book called Heavenly Man uh, by a Chinese pastor who goes through lots of uh, amazing experiences. And one of the, the ways that the Holy Spirit speaks to him is just to bring scriptures to mind, just keep bringing scriptures to mind. And, and he lives out the scriptures as a result. Um, so if you want to have an experience of God, get to know his word better, listen, lap it up. But, but how do we do that? I don't think we necessarily have to memorize whole chapters because we, we do have the privilege of having immediate access. But digging deep, getting to know a whole chapter, so when, when little verses come to mind, we can then picture the whole, and we can dive into the whole. And so I do think having memory verses is really important, and one of the reasons we do the memory verses is not just to make this a kids-friendly church, but so that we'll be able to say, should we have a go? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Um, but isn't that a a wonderful uh, thing to be able to do and and that that verse for me just always I I kind of pray that in in lots of different circumstances because it's kind of the principle of this passage as well Um, practical ways you know start to put the rocks back into place think okay well what's getting in the way what is going on in my life that is stopping me listening to Jesus Um, how am I struggling to attend um, on Sundays or midweek if I can't move those things, what other rocks can I put in their place? Because the most important thing is the rock of listening to the Lord Jesus. Um, if you're more of an audio person like me than a reading person, um, I found it hugely helpful to get Audible on my, on my phone as an app. And um, uh, David Suchet reads the Bible to me um, every day. Uh, well, I say every day. Um, I'm a sinner like all of us, and I struggle. But that's a, a good pattern to get into. Set realistic patterns. Um, I found it really helpful this year to go from trying to, a, a seven-day reading plan, that's every day, to a five-day reading plan. I recommended it at the beginning of the year, um, and it's been really helpful for me because it gives you two days catch-up every week, normally the weekend. Um, and so if you miss a day during the week, then you're not kind of, it's not building up and building up. There are times when you can catch up. Um, if you want that five-day reading program, if you're taking notes, um, 
The website is bibleclassmaterial.com, bibleclassmaterial.com, or you can get that off me. Um, there's a little Logos Bible app that you can download, and that, that has the five-day reading plan on it. So if you want a, an on-your-phone uh, on Bible that runs through the five-day reading plan, um, I found that very helpful. That's kept me on track uh, most of the time. Another little practical tip, um, especially I think Lucy found that, and I have found this very helpful um, at times, um, is uh, John Piper um, on the Desiring God website. He does something called Look at the Book. Um, look at the book, which is where he takes a snippet, uh, no longer than the passage we've looked at today in Luke 10, um, often shorter, and um, he explains it, and all you see is the passage and his scribbles, um, and it's no more than 10 minutes, and it's something that you can do together in the midst of a busy life, um, uh, and so uh, I recommend that, or there's other things like we're reading through John Stott's um, uh, Bible overview, which does a similar thing, looks at a snippet, um, so it's manageable, and we can do that together as busy families. Um, but I thought it's important to get practical and for us to think now and make resolutions now. And one of the things I'd love us to do, we'll, we'll have a little time for, for questions in case anyone's got any comments or ideas or suggestions or questions. Um, but I'd love us in, in the time over uh, tea and coffee, I doubt anyone will want that, uh, cold drinks and, and snacks, um, uh, we will just chat about where is it that the, that the rocks are, are sort of bulging out of your life and that you need to kind of just stop a bit and tip the jar out and just reassess, write down everything that's going on in your life and think, what can I ditch and how do I put the most important rock, the best thing of listening to the Lord Jesus, depending on him, um, looking at his word and uh, seeking uh, for him to teach us to, it to us. Um, how can I put that back right in the center of my life? Because it is in relationship with him that we are going to grow for all eternity. So why don't we put that into place now? And it's not a drudge. It's not a burden. It shouldn't just make us feel guilty. It's the blessed life, Psalm 1. This person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It reminds me of our vision statement shamelessly pursuing fullness of life in Christ. Let me pray and we'll have a little moment of questions and we'll sing and get the kids back. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for how you not only helped Mary and Martha, uh, but you uh, helped us by Luke recording this wonderful little episode for us to see what is most important, the one thing that is needed. Please help us to be like Mary and to choose what is better. Thank you that you will not take that away from us for all eternity. We pray that we would have the joy, even in the midst of the stress and the pressures and all the competing cultural draws on our time, to deepen our relationship with you. And we're rubbish at this on our own, Father, so please help us to do it together. And by your Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you please come and... Enable us to read your word and to hear your voice, um, to memorize it, and for you to speak into every circumstance of our lives so that we would live that blessed life. In Jesus' name, amen. Got a little bit of time for um, questions, comments. Well done for...
I didn't see many people falling asleep, a few people. It's, it's always the easiest people to spot, that's the problem. Because <laughs> um, looking up, everyone's looking up, so as soon as there's, I can see the top of someone's head, I know, I know something's going wrong. Um, but I don't blame you today. Um, anyone got any thoughts, questions? Antoinette? I really struggle with this part, this, this story. Mm. Because I think unpractical nature, personal mm. Totally understand what Jesus is saying, but really, the practice of like, but 14 people need to be dead, and so I, I still kind of keep looping back around to, you know, and, and that in other life situations yeah. as well. Yeah. That's really helpful. I suppose it, I mean, why don't we brainstorm a little bit? How would we help Martha out? So, how could she still sit at the feet of Jesus and feed 14 people? Order <laughs> pizza, yeah. So, so lower, lower our standards, yeah. So when, when listening is more important, we've got to lower the standards of, um, of food. Penny? Isn't the problem more not that Martha was doing the work, but that she was annoyed at herself? Mm. Because like, Yes. Yeah. 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 I suppose then. Yeah, there are implications for people downstairs at the moment. Jim, go. On. Um, Martha could have asked for the disciples to fill some spuds. Uh, so put in place practical measures you're saying um, so yeah thinking ahead planning ahead I, I mean I think that's what this this is about isn't it thinking and planning ahead Lucy yeah. hmm. yeah yeah I mean, there's an implicit rebuke, isn't there, to the men? I mean, I need to make sure, work harder, now we've got three kids, that I help you, and I've been rubbish at that. It's been seven weeks of almost spiritual starvation for you other than the church, so... Yeah, rebuke to me. But men need to step up to the plate and not be like those people from the Jewish Talmud, but um, from the Bible. Hayley, you had a comment? Um, I was just going to say that following the part, it doesn't sound like Martha's saying, like, she's not complaining so that she can get the work done quickly. It's just the implications, like, she's feeling like a bit of martyr almost. Yeah. It's, it is, I mean, the heart attitude is very important. In the moment, the important thing to try and address, um, and over time, is the heart attitude. But I also think if Martha herself doesn't get at the feet of Jesus, um, then she's going to, she might sort of be able to suppress the bitterness, but actually the heart problem there won't be resolved by the gospel that needs to be fed into her heart. 
Um, so we need to think very practically of how am I going to get fed. And so the rotors are important. And, and again, why I showed that little video at the beginning of um, the lazy guy and, and uh, his other half who did all the work um, is to show that actually church isn't just a few people gathering haphazardly with a guitar and um, just enjoying God, although we want to be able to do that. But in order to do that, we need to have rotors and plans and be organized. We need to get people with gifts of management, like Penny, who kind of organizes us as a staff team, and Antoinette and, and others, you know, to get us together and to make sure we plan so that everyone gets fed, not just so that some people are stuck in the kitchen and other people are getting fed, but that everyone gets fed. Andy, you had a comment? Yeah, and, and actually one of, one of the wonderful things about having all four Gospels is we know it seems that that happened. So Mary got practical. She was the one who was carrying the, the perfumes to Jesus' tomb to anoint his body. Um, and so therefore she discovered the resurrection. Um, Mary was back at home. I don't know whether she was doing funeral preparations for Lazarus when he died. And Martha was the one who came out to Jesus. And she said those amazing words. Uh, you are the son of God. You have the words of eternal life. Um, and so on. So... Um, uh, in, in John 11, I'm not quoting that correctly, but she, she's the one with wonderful spiritual insight. She's obviously been listening to Jesus, so they, they managed it. Jim, last comment. Yeah, picking up your point of the sermon, it's about asking Jesus, not telling Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah it's sort of flippant, but the, the miracles of feeding the 5,000 already happened. So, although that was in scripture, she would have known the story. Yeah. So, Jesus, come on, what, what do we do here? Yeah. yeah. Rather than And in that situation, yeah, the disciples had said to Jesus, this is impossible, we can't possibly do this. And he said, you give them something to eat, and suddenly... But maybe if you'd asked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant.